Welcome to the Azimuth Circle Business Podcast, the practical podcast for business leaders and senior executives. Interviews with today's best and brightest on how they successfully navigate today's business environment. I am your host, Jeremy Huggins. Welcome to the new normal. Welcome to the show. Continuing our theme of managing through transformation, today we are privileged to be joined by Lily Dunn, who is president of Bell Partners, one of the country's largest residential multifamily investment and management companies, overseeing over 60,000 units, 1,400 associates, and eight offices. Lily joined Bell Partners in 2010 as the chief investment officer, moving from her previous role as managing director of Avalon Bay Communities, the leading public apartment real estate investment trust and a part of the S&P 500. Lily is a graduate of the University of Michigan and is on the executive board of the National Multi-Housing Council. She is the vice chair for the Multi-Family Council of Urban Land Institute and is on the board of directors for AFIA, the Association of Foreign Investors in Real Estate. Lily is widely regarded as one of the preeminent industry spokespeople and experts in multi-housing real estate investment and this last summer oversaw the close of Bell's latest fund, the Bell Apartment Fund Number no. 7, which had a hard cap of $950 million in global equity commitments. This is really quite an achievement given that this was during a worldwide pandemic and the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. Welcome, Lillian. Thank you for coming onto the podcast. Thank you, Jeremy. Glad to be here. So, Lily, could you tell us a little bit just to give our listeners some flavor of Bell Partners? We talked a little about it in the introduction and what your role is there. Sure. Well, I do think you covered it very nicely and I appreciate your gracious words. As you mentioned, Bell Partners is a privately held, vertically integrated apartment company. We oversee about 60,000 apartments across the country. We're one of the largest operators in the United States. We typically complete one to two billion dollars of transactions a year, although this year will certainly be lower given COVID. We serve investors from around the world, and as you mentioned, we raised our seventh fund last May. It closed at about a billion dollars. I'm the president of Bell Partners. I've been here for about 10 years. And prior to that time, I was with Avalon Bay, which is a public real estate investment trust, and ran their investments, research, renovation, and portfolio management functions for about 20 years. So interesting. You started in what I think we could be charitable in saying is quite a male-orientated industry. How did you get started being a female leader in the commercial sector? Well, first, I didn't have a choice. I grew up in the industry. <laughs> My father was a developer of residential real estate in upstate New York. As a very young child, I remember my dad taking tours on the way to dinner or pretty much any family event to visit properties along the way. It was very rarely a straight line. So from an early age, I've always loved the business and started helping out in his office when I was 13 years old. In college at University of Michigan, I sold houses, I leased apartments, and then I created my own market research company, which I later sold when I graduated. After that, I joined Richard Ellis uh, right before the market collapsed in 1990. And from there, I went on to Trammell Crow, which later evolved into Avalon Bay. And as I mentioned, now I've been with Bell for about 10 years. 
you had mentioned the question about being a, a, a woman in real estate. As you indicated uh, when I began, there certainly were very few women, particularly at higher levels and in the investment and the finance areas. You know, the dilemma is how do you fit in but still stand out? Men and women are different. We communicate and process differently, and it's okay to be different. But it's also important to understand your audience, being situationally aware and communicate in a way that resonates with them. So as you have grown through the ranks, I'm sure you have a whole book of lessons that you would pass on. Is there any particular points that you would tell an aspiring manager, someone who is just getting into, not necessarily real estate, it could be any industry, well, reflecting back, I, I guess the first thing would be it's important to surround yourself with a good support system. So a great partner to help you with household and, and childcare, neighbors and friends. Secondly, uh, I would choose work and children activities very carefully. You have to prioritize which child events you're going to attend and protect that time in your schedule. There is always more work. But missing some important children's events may not be easily forgotten by your child. And you have to focus on your highest priorities at work, if possible, and be careful of always saying yes and taking on too much or setting unrealistic deadlines. And third, I would say, is give yourself a break. Don't sweat the small stuff. You can't do everything, and it certainly won't all be perfect. Perfect is not a thing. And so always remember to try to take time to enjoy the journey. So I think I should give a little color. You and I had talked a little before we started. Many would say, well, that's easy for you. You probably have one kid at home and maybe you've got a nanny and that works out <laughs> fine. No, that's not exactly true. Could you give us just a slight little profile of what it's like in your household? Well, that is a leading question for sure. <laughs> and Jeremy, as you know, it's never boring. Uh, we have five boys and I think just the number five and boys uh, certainly always leaves room for lots of stories. So it is a loud, wonderful, smelly household. And I feel very grateful and joyful to be surrounded with such a large loving, wonderful family. But prioritizing your time and choosing your events carefully and making sure that you are present while you're there is really important because things go by so quickly and you don't want to miss out on what's really important. Uh, that's terrific advice. So expanding that question out a little more on the advice that you would give, as you're looking around, can you give some advice to emerging leaders, individuals who are not necessarily female, any leader coming through the, their companies or again, starting a career, what advice would you give to somebody in today's business environment? Well, one of the fun things that I really enjoy is being a mentor and being able to help folks as folks help me rise through my career. And looking back, I would say five key things. First is make a difference. Identify and fill a need, take initiative, be resourceful, don't give up, have courage, take a risk. All of that goes into make a difference and whatever you're doing. Secondly is to build on your strengths. And by doing so, you're following your natural passion and curiosity and typically success emerges. The third is to pursue excellence. So approach challenges, and, and we certainly have a good one this year, um, as an opportunity to learn and improve. Next, I would say is remember character and protect your character, have integrity, build trust, stay positive. And lastly is look forward, innovate, be flexible and adjust as needed. The, the fourth one you talked about is remember your character. Easy to say, 
a lot more difficult to do, especially in the type of environment that we're presently going through, where people tend to be a little more focusing on what's important for them. I mean, there's a sense of survival, isn't there, right now, certainly for some people in business. Could you talk a little about the, the character side of developing a, a business personality? Sure. Well, you know, it's easy to look good when the wind is behind your back. And it's during challenging times when you really truly see the test of character. It's easy to make short-sighted, quick decisions that may feel good at the time. But if it's compromising who you are or the values you stand for, it's not worth it in the end. So it is important to remember what are your guiding principles, what are your values, and uphold them and use those to determine your behaviors and choices going forward. That's terrific advice. So when you started with Bell, the, the company was looking at high net worth individuals as investors, primarily in the southeastern United States. Uh, now that you are looking at billions of dollars under management, how did you transition from being a, a regional presence up to being a international presence from an investor perspective, which is a lot more difficult going out and expanding into your core of management of properties? Well, I think it probably felt different difficult then as well, but it certainly has been a wonderful journey. When I joined Bell in 2010, it was already a very well-established and successful company. And at the time, as you mentioned, uh, Bell was largely focused in the Southeast and Texas, and the majority of capital was from high net worth clients and institutional joint ventures where we largely had no control. And our transformation was part of a deliberate strategic plan. So first, with a great team, we created a strategic plan which addressed our objectives for growth, profitability, efficiency, capital, as well as enhancing platform and organizational goals. We wanted to create a sustainable, scalable company that could outperform during a full cycle through the ups and the down. And the foundation of any strategic plan is its culture. It's the glue. And so the art was balancing who we wanted to be and where we wanted to go but not forget who we are and makes us special. So as part of this comprehensive plan, we also carefully defined and communicated our purpose, our mission, and our core values. The purpose is where are you going? The mission is how are you going to get there? And our values are what determine our behaviors that we'll use. For example, we were just talking about character. We then created annual tactical targets, which is part of everyone's bonus each year to ensure alignment. And in breaking down the strategic plan, we were careful about the rate of change so we wouldn't overwhelm the organization or create an environment that didn't allow for opportunity and adjustment. Next, and probably most importantly, we needed to make sure we had the right people and in the right spots. A company's success is dependent on its team, and it's incredibly rewarding to see people spread their wings. At the same time, some people were over their skis and or they couldn't change and we had to make some difficult decisions. And so I'm thrilled looking now over the last 10 years with Bell Partners that we've been able to deepen and broaden our talent and refine our processes to enhance our expertise in areas such as market research, data analytics, asset management, construction, risk management. We expanded our geographic footprint across the United States 
which carefully targets our larger markets beyond the Southeast, but including the Southeast. We widen our product focus to target a broader product line, and we enhanced our capital base by creating large institutional funds and separate accounts with investors around the world. So it has been quite a wonderful, crazy journey with an absolutely fabulous team. So you talk about the strategic plan piece, and we've talked about this on some other shows on how that you actually did this. We talked to the head of transformation at Nielsen, John Tavaliri. He was talking about the fact that they actually go into these subgroups and those strategic plans are really aligned for region by region. So there's a responsibility among the people within that group. How did you go about the strategic process? Was it one big process you do once a year? Was it a series of processes? First, you have to carefully choose what people will be part of the core team. And so to make sure that it's not just the obvious people, but who are the folks who have a broad perspective that can give you a different viewpoint as you approach the business, remembering your core competencies and who you are, and then figuring out who are the people that you want to involve along the way, depending on where you're at. It is not a one-time event and one large two-hour meeting. Uh, it is a commitment over many, many months involving a series of meetings and homework um, that has to be done outside the meetings. Need to allow for room for adjustment, throwing out ideas so that we can brainstorm, take a risk, debate it, but ultimately align. A strategic plan is evolutionary, not revolutionary. It's something that you have to work at and continually update. A strategic plan doesn't change every year. Your tactics will change, but it will need to be updated every four to six years as the company evolves and as market conditions change. So I can see people now getting worried that somebody in their senior is going to hear that strategic plans are no longer a boondoggle. It doesn't mean you can't have a view while you're doing it, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure. Sorry, I'm going to lose, lose listeners the very second I start. <laughs> it doesn't have to be rigid or boring. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. I cannot agree more with you. So let's move on a little to what we're dealing with today. You and I have chatted a little about the initial question I had for you is what are you guys doing during COVID? What did you have to alter? What was different. Could you talk a little about the lessons learned from the last, what, eight, nine months? Sure. Well, as we all know, it has been quite a challenging year on many levels. Uh, the record long economic expansion finally came to an abrupt and extreme ending, and we have been facing extraordinary social health political and financial challenges. But despite all these difficulties, there's been a lot of good things also happening. And I have been inspired by the many stories of people helping one another. We have been extremely focused on trying to protect and serve our residents and associates, given that we are in the apartment business. These are their homes. While maintaining business operations in light of the COVID situation, so I would say there are three primary factors that have helped us during this time. Our long-term perspective, guided by the strategic plan I just mentioned, our focus on culture and team, and our emphasis on innovation. First, on the long-term perspective, we're focused on being a sustainable and scalable company who can consistently deliver superior returns over a full cycle. Again, that's the ups and the downs. We have a strategic plan that I just went over that we update every four to six years. It is a thoughtful, deliberate plan as I mentioned, it's evolutionary, not revolutionary, and helps keeps us focused, disciplined, and aligned. Part of that strategic plan, again, focused on the longer-term view, 
is an element called psychopreparedness. It is in essence a scorecard that uses internal and external data to identify changes in the market. It's not meant to be a predictor, but a resource to cause us to pause, reassess, and potentially adjust business plans and resources so that we're not on our heels as the cycle changes like it did this year, so that we're well positioned to take advantage of opportunities as well when they eventually emerge. Secondly is culture and team. People are critical to the success of a company and its culture. Culture is the glue that keeps everyone together. We have a strong and deep team of people that have worked together for many years. We draw on each other's experience to make well-informed decisions. We may not all agree, but there is trust, open debate, and alignment, which is critical to outperforming even in times like these, particularly in times like these. And we're focused on fostering a culture where people feel inspired to make a difference. Culture is created every day by everyone and is reinforced through intentional acts. Lastly is our investment in innovation. And even during these uncertain times, we have embraced a growth mindset and we have accelerated many initiatives to position us well during this period and well into the future. In fact, it's during times like these that some of the best innovations emerge. And we have accelerated many of our initiatives around data analytics, technology, and the customer experience. That's really interesting. And that's a great lead into my next question. You talked about the long-term strategy, your cycle preparedness. Great words, right? I mean, everybody says, you know, oh yes, absolutely. Check that <laughs> box. And then, but how do you measure that? How do you know when you have to realign where innovation suddenly is really the most logical option? What data sets are you looking at as you go through this? We are a research-led company and we use data in lots of different ways um, to create our business plans and to adjust our tactics, as I mentioned, as conditions change and opportunities emerge. We leverage external data from many sources, as well as information from our own portfolio of about 60,000 units to guide business decisions, such as market selection, doing our annual budgets, balancing rent growth versus occupancy on site at our apartment communities, um, how much transaction volume is it that we're selling more or buying more. And we also provide this real-time data to our teams through easily accessible dashboards so they can have real-time customized visibility into performance and markets. So we use data a lot and all kinds of data depending on the business unit, but it's important that not only do you have the data, but as I mentioned, that you make it accessible to the teams who need it so that they can run their business unit. I think that's a, such a great point because so many times companies may have the data available for them and it may be held in the finance department and operations department, depending on what type of company they are. Many times it's not shared with anybody. So what happens is <laughs> it's great. It's wonderful data. As a consultant, I know many times I've gone in there and said, well, where's this data? And they go, well, or it takes forever to get it because somebody's right. like done three different reports to piece it together. Yeah. But isn't it interesting? Because I think that joins with your idea of, of culture and of innovation in that if you have good data, if it's shared with the team, it allows them to come up with new innovative ideas, with new approaches, with new ways of doing things. And it also shows, and you talked a little about some people out over their skis a little, it begins to kind of separate the future leadership, the people that really could grow into being the type of people that you want to pass 
the torch onto. Correct. And I think it's also important, Jeremy, to not only be factually based, but you need to combine that also with the realities of current conditions. So we're fortunate where we have centralized focus, but decentralized execution. So having people on the ground is really important because you may get a data set and then you talk to your local teams and like, well, that data may say this, but this is not how we feel standing here. So experience the data with the reality of the current conditions. When you put all three together, you create a forum where you can have open debate and trust that ultimately will enable you to make the best decisions. So as you've walked through this, you're passing this information to your associates. They're a part of this decision-making and data gathering efforts that you're going through. How have you kept them motivated and maintained the company culture you talked about during COVID-19? Because I'm sure that like most people, offices were closed, people were working from home. They didn't have that immediate touch point with the customer as you normally have. Yeah, it is really tough. Culture has always been a hallmark of our company. We've been in business for 40 years and more than ever, it is important that we remain committed to unifying our team given this very challenging environment. And, you know, video is certainly helpful to stay connected and informed, but it doesn't really form relationships or spark creativity. So we've had to find ways to build culture during these highly unusual and difficult times. So some examples, I personally send video videos and messages to our teams across the country. Using PPE protocols, I visit our properties just to say, you know, thank you and how's it going? I'm also encouraging our officers, which is VP and above, to connect with their teams at least once a week um, in a variety of different ways. We organize fun events such as virtual coffee hours, and we recently did a company-wide Bell Gives Back Day where we all did something on the same day to help our communities and residents. Recently, we gave folks an extra day off in October as a refresh day in order to recognize and appreciate their hard work. The people need to feel connected and appreciated. And that's a huge part of culture. And sometimes it's just as simple as asking, how are they doing? And really listening and remembering to say thank you. So you're going through these pieces, five or six things that you're concentrating on. What are the changes that you think that you've implemented during this time that you're gonna stick after this crisis has, has passed? Well, you know, there's been a lot written about work from home. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we are going to see more flexible work conditions going forward. However, I do think that people do still want to come to the office. You know, it's sometimes less distracting, less lonely and a nice break. And you are Jeremy asking me about my family. I mean, when you have like five boys at home, trust me, coming to the office is pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I think work from home will certainly open up more talent from different locations, which is great. But again, it's still important to be physically together so that we can build culture and spark creativity. I think that we're going to see a balance and it's important to be together to build the relationships, as I mentioned, because without that bond, we run the risk of employees feeling more like independent contractors and create difficulties in retaining and growing talent. Um, and I would say secondly is there's this huge wave of innovations around technology and data. Staying connected and having access to real-time information is and will continue to be critical. And it's hard to keep up with all the changes because they're coming fast. I completely agree with you and something that we've talked a lot on the show about. So as you look back personally from this period, a leader during this crisis, leading a company very successfully, what have you learned from this period? Well, 
It certainly has been extraordinary. I am so proud of the way the team has handled this challenging period. It has been so inspiring to hear their stories. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I mentioned to our teams that this is when character counts and companies will be differentiated. Personally, reflecting back over this time, I would say three things. First, I feel like it made us simplify our busy lives and reinforce our most important priorities, protecting your health and appreciating family and friends and serving others. It's been a great test of the human spirit and reminded us how connected we all are, regardless of race, religion, culture, or socioeconomic backgrounds. Second, I think we've learned how resilient we all are. Uh, I think <laughs> we certainly have embraced change management, particularly in the face of crisis, we can adapt and overcome. We have shown our ability to rapidly embrace and have a growth mindset, even during these uncertain and concerning times. We've discovered new opportunities and become stronger. And third, I have seen the power of a team. We have good people who are committed, bright, creative, resourceful, and they care about one another and serving those people who are counting us, as well as producing strong results. I am in awe, I'm grateful, and truly inspired. Lily, I love it when my guests come on and give me the title for the podcast. What's the title? So the, <laughs> the title of this podcast is going to be Character Count. Oh, I like that. So... Thank you very much. I have one last question, and it's one that my listeners actually say that they enjoy most on the show. Don't ask me why. That uh, We're not going to get into that. Uh, the last question is, and I know that you still are traveling quite a bit. I know that we, we've sandwiched you here in between trips. When you go on a trip, what are the two most important must-have items you always take on a business trip? There must be a couple of things. And that, by the way, does not include your laptop and your phone. I, I assume those come with you. What two things do you always take with you, giving you that sense of security, utilization? What are the two things? <laughs> well, first is having a stash of power bars and water, um, <laughs> always, because I'm amazed I get stuck. And it's just nice to have that by because if I'm hungry or thirsty, I do tend to get a little grumpy. So I always have that in my bag. And although you said that my phone wouldn't count, I'm going to say my phone because it's the pictures of my family on the phone that is so incredibly valuable to me. Life gets so busy and it can change in a blink. And it's important to truly remember what's important and keep perspective. And as we talked about, I am so fortunate and grateful to have an incredible husband and five wonderful, crazy boys. And as you know, Jeremy, life in our house is certainly never boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lily, you have been a tremendous guest. Anybody who is listening to you will understand that character counts is the perfect way of describing you. So thank you very much. Thanks, Jeremy. Take care. Well, that's it for today's show. If you want to learn more about this content and other topics we've covered, go to www.azimuthcircle.com. Thanks for listening.